Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. I will announce now that we will not have Sidur class next week. Um, I won't be able to. And then we will resume the week after, which is Tuesday after Labor Day. And then we have three straight Tuesdays in September, and then we get to Chagim. So we'll deal with that schedule when we get to that. Okay, so no Sidur class next week. Uh, this will be the last one in August and also the last one in the month of Av. And then we will resume right after Labor Day. So we're talking about Aleinu, page 83 in the Slim, page 160 in the Sim, Shalom. And we pretty much finished the first paragraph. And we talked about how at a great length, first paragraph is kind of a um, very poetic, although in our Sidur, it's not printed so that you can see the poetry, but poetic composition with balanced lines, basically about uh, we worship the one true God. And then it closes with a proof text, Kakatu Katorato. Okay. And the second paragraph will also close with a proof text. I'm just going to drop in a footnote. It's just one of these random factoid footnotes. It's incumbent on us to praise the master of all, to ascribe greatness to the creator of creation. Uh, Apparently the phrase Yotzer Breshit is, although the idea of it is very obvious, is actually not common in rabbinic literature. Um, And... uh, there's some, we talked about how Alenu is written sometime in late antiquity. We don't know when. There are actually two early places where it's found. One is in the earliest Sidurims of Rav Amram, 800s, and also in a mystical text, what's called a Hechalot text. It's a visionary text about Rabbi Akiva who journeys to the high heavens and coming down, and you have to have all kinds of secret passwords to say so that you can ascend and descend safely. And when you're trying to emerge, you say this prayer, And uh, scholars debate, is it originally from the Sidur and then it gets taken into the mystical literature or is it originally in the mystical literature and gets taken into the Sidur one way or the other? Um, of course, there's the third possibility, which is there's some other source that they both borrow it from. But some scholars say, uh, particularly this has to do with the context of the mystical literature, that this line is a polemic against people who believed there were two gods. Now, there were some people in late antiquity among the Gnostics, Gnostics. The Gnostics means they had Gnosis, Gnosis, <laughs> secret knowledge. And some of them, this is, we're talking about sort of Mishnah Talmud times. And um, there was a school of thought among the Gnostics of what's, what scholars called binitarianism. Binitarianism means the belief that there's two gods. Now, we're used to the kind of binitarianism, like from Persian religion, in which the two gods are about what? Why do, why do Zoroastrians believe there are two gods? They talk about it's for what we do in the first brachas, Yotzer Or, Varei Choshech, Oshe Shalom, Uvarei Atavra, as you have it in uh, uh, Isaiah. Yeah. God who creates the good and the bad. So there's right. one God who creates the good, one God who creates Right. The bad. There's the God of light, there's the God of darkness, 
they're uh, locked in an eternal battle for domination. And it is our job as worshipers to support the God of light. Okay. Which is why, uh, in ancient Zoroastrian and Zoroastrian religion, there are all kinds of rituals involving fire. Um, there are definitely modern Zoroastrians, uh, in LA and I don't know if they still do fire stuff. Does anyone know about modern Zoroastrians? Ask your, ask, we'll have to ask our Iranian friends. Um, so that's the do, that's the two gods we're familiar with, which is called Manichaeism from ancient world, which is belief in force of good and force of evil locked in an eternal struggle. But binatarianism is different in Gnosticism. There are those who believe that there was a higher God and a number two God. It's like a president and a vice president. Um, wasn't a president or vice president. It was a chairman of the board and a CEO. And the highest God was kind of lofty and removed and not involved. And the number two God was the one who created the physical world and had made a mess of things. How we, how do we know that? Because the world, in fact, is a mess, right? So the world is a mess. It is defective. And the reason it's defective is it's created by um, a less competent God. That's all how I'll put it, right? Um, so there's some scholars who actually think this first line is a polemic against binitarianism, binary from binitarianism from the word binary, right? Because we worship in this line the Adon Hakol, the master above everything, and the Yotzer Breshit, the creator of the world. So this is a line some modern scholars say, which is meant to say, actually, there aren't two deities, chairman of the board and CEO of the company, who's running the company into the ground, but rather they are all one deity. So it's a polemic against binitarianism. So sort of like Yotzer or Uvore Choshech is a polemic against people who believed in two gods, forces of good and uh, force of light and force of darkness. This is a polemic against people who had a different kind of belief in a different kind of two gods, the elevated, lofty, sort of absent God and the hands-on creator God who made a mess of things. Yes, Michael? I was going to say that that, uh, we too deal with the the good and evil question, but instead of viewing it as two gods, we view it as as a struggling planet within us, the Yitzhah Haran and Yitzhah Hakel. Correct. So so there are various ways in which, just as, um, you know, pagan gods didn't go away, they got sort of domesticated in monotheism. So force of good and force of evil also got domesticated in monotheism. When I say domesticated, I mean somehow brought ideologically into the rubric of, but there's one God who's in charge of everything, right? One God in charge of everything. And that God creates the Yetzirah Tov and the Yetzirah right? Which struggle within us. Again, in Kabbalah, you have sort of the, the, the Sitra Achra, the other side, the left side, right? So in Kabbalah, there are ways of accounting for evil also, right? So it's a way of, you know, t- taking, I'm going to say the human observation, you might say the human, I don't know, naturalistic observation or psychological observation, whatever you want to call it, that, oh, there seems to be good in the world and there seems to be evil in the world. 
but we believe there's only one God and everything is subordinate to that one God. So how can there be evil in the world? And then you have to have various ways of explaining that and kind of domesticating, uh, monotheizing the struggle between good and evil. But I do not call on your cherubry sheet isn't about good and evil. It's about the highest God and then the creator God. So we're not going to talk about that anymore. I just thought some people might find that interesting. Some people might not. We're going to go on to the second paragraph of the Aleinu. So second paragraph Aleinu, obviously totally different in the sense that it's not, uh, you know, poetic with, ba- even if you don't understand the Hebrew, you can tell that it doesn't have balanced lines that sort of are rhythmically rhyming with each other. It's much more prosy. Okay. It's, a different idea. So we'll look, read through the second paragraph. We'll talk about the different idea, and then we'll talk about how the first two par- how those two paragraphs fit together. By the way, in those two earliest places where we find Al- Alenu in the mystical text and in uh, Sidur of Amram, we find both paragraphs together. So even though you might argue they're so different, they must originally have been written by two different people, two different styles, two different contexts, and someone put them together, you might want to make that argument. There is no um, concrete textual evidence of them ever apart, right? So we don't have any any early attestation that has only Alenu or only Alkane before they were put together. All we have is they're put together, even though they seem to be different complementary but different ideas written with a very different literary style. Okay? So we worship the one game, the one God. Alkane, therefore, Nikavelachem Alokenu, we hope for you. We we hope we look to you hopefully. All right. Literally just means we hope to you. Right? So it means we're hopeful. For what lirot mehra so that we can speedily see your glorious glory. What will that? What will constitute your glorious glory? Lahavir gilulim min haaretz to get rid of idols from the earth. Vahaelilim karot ikaretun and may the idols swiftly be. Uh, I don't want to say swiftly. Sorry, totally be cut off or destroyed. That is actually in this week's Parsha coming up, Parsha Akev, right? About destroying all idols. With the result being, Litakain Olam Bimalchut Shaddai. Um, Litakain is written with a kuf. It may have also originally been written with a kaf. If it's with a kuf, it comes from the Shoresh Litakain, which means to, uh, fix or arrange. If it's with a kaf, it means to constitute. And there are a lot of scholars who actually think that's the original version. It doesn't make a huge amount of difference in the meaning. So I'll just say to constitute the world as a malchut shaddai, kingdom of God, right? So we hope that speedily all the idols will be gotten rid of, and then the world will be constituted as a kingdom of God, meaning the one God. Once we get, once all the idols are gotten rid of, what's going to happen? All flesh will um, 
call out by your name, meaning they will all worship you. All humans, all humans will, will worship you. When all the idols are gotten rid of, all the false gods disappear, then all of humanity will worship you. Ikaru vishmecha. Everyone with me? Lahafnot elecha kol aretz. And then all the wicked of the earth will be turned to you. Period. That was a long, so everything from Alcain up until here was one sentence. Pretty coherent thought, right? Therefore, we hope to see you speedily, your glory, to get rid of all idols so that the whole world will be constituted as a kingdom of God and all humanity will worship you and the wicked will also turn to you. Long, complex thought, but pretty coherent in terms of how it flows. And other than litakain with a kuf or litakain with a kaf, um, not much argument there. And again, either way, it doesn't make a huge difference. Yakiru v'yed, um, I'll, I'll uh, footnote, which I don't want to discuss long now, but in modern liberal movements where we say tikkun olam, which means like, you know, feeding the homeless and stuff like that, that is a modern um, meaning of what litakain olam means. Tikkun haolam, which is mentioned in the Talmud, doesn't mean um, feeding the hungry and and sheltering the homeless and stuff like that. All the things that we call tikkun olam, our, our interpretation of what the phrase tikkun olam means is a totally contemporary understanding which did not exist in rabbinic times. In, the Talmud mentions mipnei tikkun haolam, and it's about things like building bridges and having bathhouses. It's about, you know, having infrastructure of the world. It's not about taking care of the needy. That's a modern reinterpretation of what tikkun olam means. I don't mind if we, if we use that reinterpretation, but that's not what it means in the Aleinu. Okay. Back to the text. Yakiru veidu kol tevel. So let all the people who dwell on earth recognize. Notice the repetition we have starting in the last sentence of kol, 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 which is the sort of the thematic uh, word that recurs in this paragraph to give a sense of totality, right? So that all um, earth dwellers will acknowledge uh, that all, every knee will bow to you Every tongue will uh, swear, presumably, loyalty to you. Okay? Before you, Hashem, may they all kneel and fall, meaning bow. And give praise or glory to your glorious name. Again, kulam, all. And may they all accept the yoke of your sovereignty, and you will speedily rule over them forever and ever. For sovereignty is yours. And may you rule in glory forever and ever. Okay? So, therefore, we said about paragraph one, we hope for the day when um, 
your glory will be apparent to all. You'll get rid of all the idols. Everyone will worship you. They will all acknowledge you. They will all bow before you. They will all praise your name. They will all accept your sovereignty and you will rule over all of them. Interesting. Um, there's a, this is a whole theology thing we won't get into, but there's an implication that God doesn't, isn't fully considered ruler unless people acknowledge God as ruler. They all accept, they will all accept the yoke of their sovereign, of your sovereignty. And you will rule over them, which seems perhaps to imply that before they accept the yoke of your sovereignty, i.e. now, does God not rule over them? So it doesn't mean God doesn't have power, but it means God is not acknowledged as sovereign. God isn't fully sovereign until God is acknowledged as sovereign. And lots of people, modern people write about that, theologians. Okay? And then we conclude with a proof text, just as the first paragraph did. Right? So like the first paragraph, it's an original composition. It's the author's thought. And then the author says, and I am basing what I just told you on a verse, right? First paragraph, it's V'yadata hayom v'ashikot ha'elo v'avecha ki Adonai hu Elohim v'ashamayim mimal v'yal aretz mitachat ein od, right? He's the one true God. So now the proof text of paragraph two is kakatu v'toratecha. Actually, we have two proof texts. Adonayim loch le'olam va'ed. God will reign, will be sovereign forever and ever. Where is that from? Anyone? There's Exodus. Exodus, it's in Shirat Hayam, the Song of the Sea. We say it every day in Az Yashir, every morning. Okay. And Vina Emar, I'll give you a second proof text, says the author. That's from the prophet. I'm not going to make it too hard for you. Zechariah. Even though you think it's from Isaiah, but it's from Zechariah. Okay. So as it says, and the prophet on God will be sovereign on all the world. It's praying for a future time. And again, it implies that until people accept God's sovereignty, God isn't sovereign, right? So that day, God will be sovereign over the whole world. On that day, which means some future day, Hashem will be one and his name one. Whatever that means, we talked at great length about Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Okeinu, Hashem, Echad. God alone, God is the totality, uh, one God as opposed to other gods, which would fit very nicely with the meaning of the first and the second paragraph of the Elena, right? Because the second paragraph says, we want to get rid of all the idols that other people worship, so that eventually everyone worships you. And then in that day, we can truly say... God is Melech Alkol Haaretz. God is sovereign over the whole world. And Hashem, I'm I'm gonna to avoid any interpretation, I will just translate literally as Hashem is one and Hashem's name is one. Because any other translation I, I gave would be an interpretation. Right. Hashem alone and solely his name. That would be a lovely translation, but it's really a bit of an interpretation. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Okay. How um, is that a proof text? 
Okay, because it says um, God will reign forever and ever, and in the future, God will be king over all the earth. So I said in the paragraph, therefore, God, because I said all that stuff about we worship the one true God in the first paragraph, we hope for the day that um, all the idols will be gotten rid of. Everyone will worship you, okay, uh, alone. Um, as it says in the Torah, Hashem will reign forever and ever. And as it says in the prophet, there will be a day in the future when all humanity will worship God and God alone will be worshipped. Jonathan, it's not a proof text in the sense that it proves that it'll happen. It's a proof text in the sense that the author is saying, what I just said to you in my essay is based on, is really no more than an amplification of this verse from the Bible. I didn't make anything up, okay. the author is saying. I just, I just gave you a little essay on this idea in Zechariah. Okay. Um, lest you accuse me, the author, of I made up some new theology just because I made up some new words. I didn't. I made up some new words, but what I'm saying is totally based on a very clear-cut Torah idea. Any questions about, let's just ask about the second paragraph. Let's, let's not get to the connection just yet, but any questions about second paragraph? I think it's pretty, pretty clear. Larry? <clears throat> I was raising my hand, but I was also testing an idea that Diane had, which is like proven false. But if you raise your hand physically, the new Zoom it reads does. It, it does. and raises your hand. But anyways, mm-hmm. I have a comment, not a question. Uh, I know that you said that the second paragraph is more prose or is prose, whereas the first paragraph is poetic. Mm-hmm. But I think you can read the second paragraph in a poetic way. And I think that the lines kind of break themselves um, very nicely in terms of a rhythmic, rhythmic reading. And there is some... Um, Elements of poetry in the sense that there's alliteration. The only one that I'll mention is you've got Yikru followed by Yakiru. Good. Followed by Yikru. And Yakar. There you go. Thank really? you. Good. So Sorry I like, about, yeah. I like, me. sometimes <laughs> when I'm davening, I like reading. Uh-huh. I mean, I like the sound, even if I'm making it in my head. And I've always liked the sound of the second paragraph. And I only mention a lot of people do because in a library minion, they awkwardly fit it to a sort of sing song melody that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, which, to which, make they it, did, which they didn't invent. Lots of people, uh, you know, it's kind of the, kind of the, uh, I think it's the ortho tune. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I mean, it's not done in modern Orthodox schools, but I believe that the conservative movement originally got it from some Orthodox kids. As far as I know, I could be wrong about that. We should ask Rabbi Hillary. We have to ask Rabbi Chorney about that. So it can be uplifting verse is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't disagree with you. All I meant is paragraph one is clearly A, B, C, D, A prime, B prime, C prime, D prime, E, F, G, H, E prime, F prime, G, all right. Okay, you could arrange it very clearly and poetic if you printed it that way. And the second paragraph is not like that. I did not mean to imply that it is entirely devoid of poetic or literary elements, just that it clearly is literarily very different. Okay, so second paragraph basically is we long for the day when all the idols will be gotten rid of and God will be recognized as the sole God. 
So it's pretty clear how the first paragraph and the second paragraph fit together conceptually. Paragraph one is, we praise the one true God, those other Gentiles, they worship no gods. Our God is the true God of the universe. There is none other. Paragraph one. Paragraph two. Therefore, we hope long for the day when this will become clear to everyone, all of humanity. They will, all of the pagan deities, right? By the way, Elil is a funny word. El means deity. And the form Elil, which is usually... um meant, is usually understood as idol, is the diminutive form. So Elil really means, it's like dog and puppy. It's like a little god, godlet, right? So it's kind of a contemptuous term for idols, right? The godlets, all the godlets will be swept away and only God will be worshipped, all right? Um, I mean, Michael has a question. Hold on a second. Thank you. Right. So, uh, again, although clearly different ideas in paragraph one and paragraph two, it's pretty easy to see why they are together and how they fit together. Uh, Michael, you have a question. Yes. Um, the Thank object you. seems to be one to get rid of idols two to have everybody acknowledge God. Yes. We, we acknowledge God by saying the Shema. That, that's where we do what, what this paragraph says should be done. I think. Oh, you're, you're thinking it is saying, um, that eventually everyone will say the Shema. That's what I'm wondering. Yes. Okay. I think that's, uh, I don't know. I'll shrug my shoulders and say that's, <laughs> that, that's an interpretation. I don't know. Maybe it's in on the author's mind. Maybe not. Cause it does say you're, you're focusing on Hashem Echad, Ushmo Echad. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, he could have also said, and on that day, they will all say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, which he doesn't say explicitly, but you're saying it is a clear reference to it. Okay, fair enough. Right. You can also go back further and say, is that what the prophet Zechariah is referring to? Is Zechariah referring to Sefer Devarim, given that the verse is from the prophet Zechariah? It's such a distinctive phrase, Hashem Echad. Ushmo Echad, which is not exactly the same as Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, but it's evocative of it. Okay. Now, I want to go back to the censored line. So, you know, I know that there are people who, I, I, I know this because they've said it to me, there are people who have beef with the Aleinu. They say, it's hard for me to say this. It's so triumphalist. It denies everyone, you know, the religious experience of everyone who's not Jewish uh it's it's um you know ridiculous to think this there are different paths to god who are we to think that our path to god is the only that everyone needs to be converted to our path to god um and to that i'll say several things one i think that sort of is the theology of the alenu and you may not like it or disagree with it two i think that becomes much more inescapable if you include the censored line. So if you say they, all those other people worship, whatever they worship is emptiness and nothing and their gods do not save. 
We worship the one true God. Therefore, we hope for the day when everyone worships the one true God who we worship, right? Which I think with the censored line, it's the shot seems fairly inescapable that what it means is eventually everyone should worship the Jewish God. Notwithstanding, I will put it either in parentheses or as a footnote, Warren's interpretation of, of domesticating um, the censored line so that um, it's less, it rings less offensive. It's not about other gods that people worship with like, you know, Allah or Jesus or Shiva, right? It refers to the things that people worship that are not ultimate, which again, I would, I would argue is really a modern reinterpretation of what that means. I don't think that's the shot. I think the shot is we want people to stop worshiping their other gods and worship the one true God. So I think it is more um, theologically chauvin- chauvinist, triumphalistic, or it looks, looks to a future triumph, not present, if you include that line. And I think uh, without the censored line, meaning in our, you know, the version we have in conservative Sidurim, um, it's easier to interpret it as we long for the day when all of humanity will be unified and will be one in worshiping together as opposed to worshiping conflicting forces and the false idols that people say are of ultimate importance, but really are of no ultimate importance. And perhaps Warren, you may argue that I am just splitting hairs to say, uh, you know, I can interpret it that way without the line, but I have trouble interpreting that way with the censored line. And if you were to say that, Warren, I would say, so stipulated, counselor. Okay. Anyway, I have some, I have a, I had some other thoughts and Go ahead. I found some other things. In Chabad, they only do for the first half of the line. Oh, oh, yeah, they just, they cut right. And they don't, oh, they don't, and they don't say, right. That's interesting. They censored out the more clearly Jesus part of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The the other thing is that I read somewhere that Joshua wrote this. Yes, there is a Midrashic interpretation. Go ahead. Okay. So my interpretation is this is a war cry. Mm hmm. A war cry. This is, this is Patton getting the troops excited. Okay. And saying we're, and, and separating us from, the, from the enemy. Okay. That's, I maybe, I, I, that's just a thought of that could be like the genesis of this. Okay. Um, by the way, which again, John, uh, good thought and Yoshua's war cry, Joshua's war cry is based on what Moshe, the instructions that Moshe gives in this week's Parsha coming up, right. which we will read in four days, right? It's all about you will come to the land. There are all of these pagan deities there. Wipe them all out, okay? And the people who worship them. We might be a little uncomfortable with that, but that is what it says in the Torah. Okay, good. All right. I'm going to let it sit, let people think about it. We got to ring off. Um, we're taking next week off and then uh, let's, we'll, let's have a two minute discussion. And then what should we do? 
Should we do the sheer shell yomes? We could do them one at a time. We did that last time around, which was several years ago, or I don't know. I'm open to, uh, open to discussion. It's 848. I'm going to ring off at 850. What do you want to do? Well, if we don't do the, the song for the day, then what would we do? What else would our choices be? Don't know. You know, let's do the song for the day. I'm going to do the Psalms for the day. Yeah. Of, of the three or four times that I have gone through the Sidur with um, Daily Minion, I, I believe I only did that once. We didn't do that at the beginning because at the beginning I said, oh, my God, the Psalms are just so long. If we do the Psalms a little bit, we're going to be in the weeds, right? Because uh, once you get into Psalm interpretation, you're in the weeds. Um, they're good weeds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, I think we'll do that. I think we'll do that. We'll go on to the Shir Shalyom. Okay, and uh, I do want to cut off discussion. I'm sorry, but if anyone has more lingering thoughts about Alenu that you'd like to share, let's start with that next time, right after Labor Day in the month of Elul. Okay? Thanks, Navi. Be well, be Torah, stay healthy. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. See you in two weeks. Okay. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.